Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of relationships. Jesus said, Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Matthew 22, 35-38. Love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22, 39. Vertical axis first. If I'm right with God, then all my horizontal relationships are going to be worked out. But if I try to work out the horizontal without the vertical, it'll never happen. So we must have the love of God to be able to minister that love to people. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How many times have you tried to build something without reading instructions? Well, the odds are you spent more time with added problems than if you had followed the prescribed set of plans. Well, coming up, the Apostle Paul reveals the instructions necessary for building relationships that make up a thriving church. And that's from today's Simple Truths message from Pastor Xavier titled, only the facts. Let's listen. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Here are the three things that Paul asked the Thessalonians to remember regarding his conduct and the others. First, their willingness to work as they preach the gospel. Verse 9. Secondly, their willingness to live out the gospel. Verse 10. And then their willingness to teach the gospel, verse 11 and 12. Notice first Paul calls their attention, remembering how they worked. The manner of work is described as labor and toil. The word labor means primarily, and it denotes a striking or a beating. The idea is of laboring resulting in weariness. Paul Strait, as you know, was a tent maker. Uh, he partied up with uh, Achille and Priscilla as they were excommunicated from Rome at the excommunication of the Jews in Acts 18. And in verse 2 and 3, when they arrived at Corinth, Paul and them struck a good fellowship and they became workers together in leather work. A tent maker. Notice secondly here in verse 9. Paul calls their attention remembering why they worked. The motive for working was that they might not be a burden to any of them. Paul was always very careful not to have the gospel discredited due to money. You can read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 11, 12, uh, Philippians 4, 16. Always very, very careful. You see, they were willing to work as they preached the gospel. Verse 10. Their willingness to live out the gospel. Paul declared that they had, they and God were witness of how they had behaved among those who believed. The word devoutly describes the conduct towards God, pure from evil. Literally, holy lee. <laughs> in other words, in obedience to be Christ-like in as much as they could. You see, man can appear to be devout towards God before the eyes of man. But only God knows if it's true from the heart. Now notice secondly, Paul declared that they and God were witnesses of how they had behaved themselves among them towards man. The word justly describes the conduct towards man. The act which is right, equitable to another man or another woman. Fitting. The act 
that is physically manifested and God sees that it's pure. It's fitting. He mentions three things already to back this up. In verse 6, they didn't try to have authority over them. In verse 7, they loved them as fragile infants. In verse 9, they didn't burden them financially. Those are three good ways to manifest it. Now notice thirdly here, Paul declared that they and God were witnesses of how they had behaved themselves without reproach among those who believed. The word blamelessly means faultless in the sense of there is no cause for censure. In other words, all the evidence is contrary to the accusation. The word appears only twice here in the letter, here and in chapter 5, verse 23, where he finishes. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's able to do this? Christ. Not in ourselves, but our dependency on him. He's able to do this. This is God's will for all the believers. Now, it doesn't mean perfection or sinlessness. But a constant state of being right before God by acknowledging our failure, confessing our failure, and repenting from our failure. Keeping our life short and up to date. Like you are to keep your checkbook. But as I said often, maybe that's the problem. Our Christian life is much like our checkbook. We don't know how much is in there or how much has been taken out. We have to keep short accounts. Theodore Roosevelt, at age 17, went off to Harvard, I believe. His father, being a godly minister, gave him some good counsel. He said, take care of your morals first, your health second, and your studies last. I wonder how our nation would have been affected if he would have been a godless man rather than a godly man. I believe our nation received the benefit of that godly counsel and its conviction. It made a difference at the time. A willingness to live out the gospel is based on our love for God supremely. Never forget that. The Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Lord our God is one. And it speaks about the love for God primarily. That's the first duty. He is number one. Jesus said the exact same thing. One day a lawyer said, which is the greatest of the commandments? And he says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 38. He must be supreme. If God is not supreme in your life as husband or wife or child, then there's an idol in your life. It's competing for God. A willingness to live out the gospel towards man will be sourced in the love of God and the love for God. And it will be manifested towards man. You cannot give what you do not have. If we give what we have, it's not going to be good. <laughs> because our love is very conditional. So we must have the love of God to be able to minister that love to people. Jesus said, the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. In these two lie all the commandments. The vertical axis first, 
If I'm right with God, then all my horizontal relationships are going to be worked out. But if I try to work out the horizontal without the vertical, God help me and everybody else. It'll never happen. This was Paul's prayer for Ephesians in Ephesians three fourteen through 21. That they might know in their inner man to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding, the width, the height, the depth. Love is the purest and the most powerful incentive and the potential of God's love described for us in 1 Corinthians 13. You're familiar with it from verse uh, 4 on down to 8. Love is kind, doesn't want itself, doesn't boast at all, doesn't behave itself unseemly. It, it, it believes, it hopes, and endures all things. Agape never fails. Every time I have depended on agape love, I have never failed. Every time I have not depended on agape love, I have failed. It's just that simple, people. When I lean to my own understanding, when I trust in my own strength, when I think I have enough experience, I eat it big time. Only as I depend on God and His love. They were willing to live out the gospel. Notice thirdly, He tells them their willingness to teach the gospel. You see, you must live it before you teach it. That's the priority. That's the order. If your primary concern was teaching something intellectually without any shoe leather to it, you've got holes in your theology. It doesn't work that way. Notice first in verse 11, Paul told them that they knew how they had instructed them. Remember, this is a courtroom. He's calling the witnesses. He's bringing the evidence. The method is described as threefold. They exhorted the Thessalonians. The word exhort, as you know, is parakaleo. It means to come alongside, to entreat, to encourage. You're driving down the street. You see some lady having a flat. And you see she's having a hard time. You pull over. You come alongside. You help her. The idea is of being positive help. Pressing them forward. Advancing them for their benefit. But notice, secondly, they comforted the Thessalonians. The word comfort means to console. Under difficult circumstances, the idea here. Now, we've talked about the difficulty for Paul and Silas and Timothy. Timothy wasn't there, but later he went back. But how about the Thessalonians? They were natives of that city. Everybody knew them. And all of a sudden, they chose to believe the gospel that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who was going to return back in glory in the heavens for his church. And all of a sudden, these individuals turned away from their gods. He's told us that already in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Do you know the pressure that their families gave to them? The working guilds? This was a free city, a Roman city. It was free because it served Caesar. All of a sudden, they're accepting another king. Now, some of you are ex-Catholics. You kind of know a little bit of the pressure from your family. You change your religion. It gets nasty sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes even to the point, I'll give you three months and then I'm going to write you off. Stop and think about these guys. Not an easy decision, but one that had to be made. But notice thirdly, he says that they charged the Thessalonians as individuals. Encouraged, comforted. Charged, And the word means to be a witness, testify, to bear record. Paul held them responsible and accountable for what they had heard. 
something that is a dirty principle today. Nobody wants to be responsible or accountable because we are so wishy-washy and we are so bound by politically correct language and we don't want to be sued and we don't want to offend so we can get nothing done. He made them accountable. In this threefold instruction, we see a healthy dealing with God's people that is neither cold-heart theology legalism, nor an indifferent, carefree life, but rather a diligent, loving expectation of life in the Spirit. There is nothing outrageous about this expectation. He says here, he charged them. We do it as parents to our children. They're going, now I said, now, you behave yourself. I warned you already. You heard what I said, right? That's what he means here. Now notice the manner of instruction is likened to that of a father. So it's not some dictator here. The metaphor of a mother depicts loving gentleness and care. That's in verse 7. And we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. The metaphor of a father depicts the loving firmness because of care. Very important. There's the balance. God knows that a home can only be run with a father and a mother. You need gas and you need brakes <laughs> to get somewhere. There's that beautiful balance. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them with a home in mind and children in mind. A perfect balance to temper the extreme of each one and the uniqueness of that role they are to play out. And for the children to have an example so they know what it is to be a father, what it is to be a husband, where it is to be a provider, where it is to be a disciplinarian. All of that is caught by seeing and instruction. Paul had preached to them. They had been born again. Chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 13, they received the word, not as the word of man, but the word of God. So he was their spiritual father. He was instructing them. He was encouraging them. He was holding them accountable. They're his children. I hold my children accountable. No one else. This is what Paul is doing. In fact, as you know, he tells the Corinthians and many others also, the Corinthians, he calls them my, my beloved children in 1 Corinthians 4.14. And he argues, well, what's your problem? You guys think you guys are already in heaven, you're reigning? I wish you did reign. We'd reign with you. You guys are puffed up. Now notice secondly in verse 12, Paul told them that they knew why they had instructed them. The purpose was that they would have to walk worthy of God. Bottom line, the word walk, as you know, simply means to order one's behavior. If your behavior is not according to God in the kingdom of God, then there's a contradiction in your life if you call yourself a Christian. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but there must be a marked difference between me before Christ and after Christ. If there isn't, then I'm deceiving myself and I'm giving a bad representation to all around me. The quality of their walk, notice, was to be worthy, meaning appropriate, suitable, fitting. It had to line itself up. It's like if your kid comes out and, and, and you're going to a wedding and you say, okay, go get dressed. And he comes out and he's got this wrinkled up t-shirt, these holy Levi's. 
He said, okay, I'm ready. He go, no, 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 that doesn't fit. Go put something appropriate on. It has to line up. They wanted the Thessalonians to be instructed on the potential of the new man. So as to live life evident of having a relationship with God. That's the bottom line, people. People may not know that I'm a Christian, but they are going to see a difference between the way I live my life out and the way others live out. I am not the most popular person in my neighborhood because I don't party with them. I live differently, but that's okay. They know who I am and it's okay. I can't stop them from talking, but Peter says, just make sure when they accuse you, make sure that what they're saying is absolutely false. That's my responsibility. It doesn't speak of a personal worth to be accepted, but a resemblance of relationship. And later on, he'll tell them that, chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, I urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Notice the perspective was in view that God had called them into his own what? Kingdom and glory. The kingdom of God is present, having penetrated the kingdom of darkness and presently seen in the lives of the people that God was ruling over their lives. So the only way people can know that God lives in your life is if he rules your heart. If he rules in the affairs of your everyday life, your decisions you make. The call of God had come to them at one point and at one time. Continually now it was being the source of their life's fear. God was ruling them. God had delivered them from the kingdom of darkness and translated them to the kingdom of his dear son, even as Colossians 1.13 tells us that. There's a difference. But notice again that the kingdom of God is yet future. It's present, but it's yet to come. Jesus, at his appearing, will bring the kingdom of God with him. 2 Timothy 4.1 says. The church is not the kingdom. Keep that in mind. Nor will the church establish the kingdom. But yet the church is part of the kingdom. And when the Lord returns for his church and raptures her out, after the seven years, we will come back with Jesus to set up the kingdom. But we are not the kingdom. We will not establish the kingdom. Jesus will establish the kingdom. About ten years ago, there was what's called kingdom theology or reconstruction theology, declaring that we were going to establish the kingdom. So let's get Christian politicians in office. Let's take back territory. Let's claim this land. All these kind of theologies that are Mickey Mouse theologies come and go. Stick with the old theology. Just make sure that it's fresh and alive in your life. The same old theology. Just make sure it's fresh and alive and speaking to you today. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. When? In the millennial kingdom. That's when it will happen. But right now it's to be done in our lives. Because we are children of the kingdom. The word glory means an opinion or estimate resulting in honor and fame. It's used in chapter 2 verse 6, uh, which he denies. Nor that we seek glory from men. In chapter uh, verse 12, here where we're studying. And then verse 20 of chapter 2 also. He says, for you are our glory. So in other words, how we live and what we demonstrate to those around us should point to the glory of God. To God being the source and that we are related to Him. That's what he's talking about. Now, a father is willing to teach a son out of love and therefore observes the best methods while always presenting the goal before him. 
And it costs a father much to be a wise father. There's the aspect of love, but love doesn't always say yes. It says no many times. There's the aspect of love that brings discipline. Paul says, I will spend and be spent for you, the Corinthians, but the more I love you, the less I be loved. That is the position of a father. The Romans had a coin. On the face of the coin, there was an ox facing an altar and a plow. And underneath it was written, ready for either. Service or sacrifice. That's a good motto for us as Christians. Our willingness to teach others the gospel is evident of God's love in our hearts for them. That's why when Jesus recommissioned Peter in John 21, 15 through 7, he says, Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Shepherd them. The greatest love that I can give to you as a shepherd is to be ready every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and midweek, prepared to give you food to eat so that you can grow strong and walk with God. That's what a shepherd's to do. He doesn't need applause. That's his call. God takes care of it. But that's the greatest evidence of his love. The full counsel of God. Paul told the Ephesian elders before he left, I've been with you a couple of years, two, three years, and I have not failed to give you the full counsel of God. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, take you through. Not my favorite little sermons <laughs> to give you sermonettes for Christianettes. The Lord derves. I want to make sure I can hear you belch all the way out in the parking lot when you leave here. <laughs> our willingness to learn will result in our transformation evident of the kingdom of God's Rule and glory around us. Throughout the scriptures we are told that to walk worthy, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, Philippians 1, 27, walk worthy, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, walk worthy. Over and over and over again. You see, because the purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, right? Philippians 4, 11 through 16. To do the work of ministry, to prepare you for ministry. So that you can be used of God and people can look at you and they look at you no different than they look at me. We're both servants. No different. I think too often, too many people have their eyes on the pastor. He's just one of the many. He has his gifts, he has his position, but he's one of the many in the body of Jesus Christ, the church. They were willing to teach the gospel. In a real court case, the prosecuting attorney questioned one of the doctors who did the autopsy on the body. Doctor, before you performed the autopsy, did you check for a pulse? No. Did you check for blood pressure? No. Did you check for breathing? No. So then, it was possible that the patient was alive when you began the autopsy. No. How can you be so sure, doctor? Because his brain was sitting in my desk in a jar. <laughs> but, could the patient have still been alive nevertheless? It is possible that he could have been alive and practicing law somewhere. True question and answer in a court case. Nothing but the facts refutes the fallacy and the allegations. Paul defended his ministry at Thessalonica regarding their conduct by these three facts. Their willingness to work as they preach the gospel. 
their willingness to live out the gospel and their willingness to teach the gospel. Man, good stuff for us. Good stuff for you. Good stuff for me. Pastor Xavier Reese and following the full counsel of the Word of God. Today's message, Only the Facts, is available on CD for $4 upon request. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Only the Facts, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926 1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us with the stewardship of our resources in your area. How much of God's Word do you need to be saved? You don't want to miss the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 